Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the fifth day of September. I'm your host, Paul White. Thank you for joining us here. Paul White Ministries has nine audio podcast releases per week. Seven days a week, we do this, the DDP, the Deeper Daily Podcast. We go a little deeper into something every day. And then on Wednesday and on Sunday, we have additional podcast drops. Those are long versions, usually between 45 minutes and an hour, us preaching from somewhere. The midweek is usually our Tuesday night meeting in Flowery Branch, Georgia, and the Sunday are travels from somewhere around the world. Check it out, and you can find it all at paulwhiteministries.com. Today, we continue with the reading from Righteous Saul versus Righteous Paul. We have three days of reading from chapter five. Today is day two of three. Today, by the end of the reading, it starts to get into a little bit of the Greek, and then it'll pick more of that up on tomorrow's podcast. I think today and tomorrow are quite informative. So with no further delay, here we go. Continuing from chapter five, Righteous Saul versus Righteous Paul. There were many churches in Galatia scattered throughout the region, most of which Paul had helped to establish. He founded them on the preaching of the pure grace of Christ. After hearing that many agitators had snuck in among the ranks and were presenting a form of gospel that mixed performance with the finished work of Christ, Paul took up his pen and wrote the letter we know as the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul took a hard stand in defense of the gospel of grace, going so far as to confront Peter and rebuke him to his face for what Paul considered hypocrisy. The pressure to present a version of the gospel that would be acceptable to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, one in which the converts to Christ also converted to the Mosaic law, must have been overwhelming. Then, as now, the appeal of a works-oriented message was too much for some to divorce themselves from. Paul lost one of his own ministry team. Barnabas left him and went after Peter because there was an attraction to this external kind of holiness. In his letter to the Galatian churches, Paul laid out a superb argument for justification by faith theology, equaled only by his letter to the Romans. Near the end of chapter 2, Paul was confronting Peter and trying to prove his case to the churches of Galatia when he hit the peak of his argument. Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Note Paul's declaration at the beginning of the verse, I have been crucified with Christ. In Paul's theology, that crucifixion is in his past. It's a done deal. As we mentioned before, the language of the New Testament is Greek, which was also the common and most universally accepted written language of the world at large. Aside from the ancient Greeks, the conquests of Alexander the Great specifically, you can thank the Roman Empire for such a wide footprint that allowed one language to be so popular. Jesus came on the scene at the perfect time in history. Not only was he born under the law so that he could deliver all who were under the law, he came into a world in which his Jewish brethren were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. 
The Roman Empire had not only unified the written language, but they had even introduced a new method of execution called crucifixion, which would serve as a prophetic fulfillment, Deuteronomy 21-23. The writers of the New Testament wrote in Greek, though their native tongue was most likely Hebrew. The Greek language was so commonly accepted as the literary form that several generations earlier, a group of 70 scholars had translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, a translation known as the Septuagint. Based upon how much vitriol and strife accompany modern biblical translations within the church now, I can only imagine the heated discussions that happened at the Jewish dinner table over such a secular translation of the sacred text. I mention this so that we understand that when the New Testament writers quote verses found in the Old Testament, they often read differently than they did in our Old Testament. This is not because they were changing it or because they were just guessing. It was because they were reading out of Greek, and many of our Bibles translated the Old Testament from Hebrew. Confused yet? (laughs) I hope not. Let's keep it simple. The New Testament is written in Greek, but a word-for-word translation from any language to another language is problematic. In fact, in many cases, it's simply impossible to take one Greek word and give only one English word to convey the same thought. Part of this is due to various translation issues, one of which is the most important issue of all. The Greek language is written and expressed using different tense. A word used in Greek may appear in one tense in one place and a different tense elsewhere, giving us a different understanding of what the author was trying to convey by using that specific word in that specific manner. For instance, the phrase, I have been crucified with Christ, in Greek is written in the perfect tense. This one is difficult even for English grammar students to grasp. We're most familiar with past, present, or future tense. Think of perfect tense this way. It describes something that happened in the past that has a relationship with the present. We will stop right there for today, that good little Greek tense study. Uh, you, You probably know where this is going. If you've tracked with us long enough, you're going to get to the tetelestais of the New Testament, the it is finished All this perfect tense stuff actually means something, and it means something quite important to us in the realm of the Spirit. So don't miss tomorrow's podcast when we read the rest of the fifth chapter from Righteous Saul versus Righteous Paul. Hope you have a great day. God bless.